You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, and I'm your host, Keith Budden. As normal, I'd like to start with a shout-out to our new listeners, and this week we have new listeners from London, from Portsmouth, Bournemouth, Brighton, Manchester, Harrow, and then Dublin in the Republic of Ireland, Nord-Brabant in the Netherlands, North Rhine-Westphalia in Germany, Warsaw in Poland, Zurich in Switzerland, Lombardia in Italy, Nigeria, Derudun in India, Fujian in China, Beijing in China, Kanagawa in Japan, Cairns, Australia, Sydney in Australia, and last but not least, Los Angeles in the USA. Warm welcome to all our new listeners, and of course a very warm welcome too to all my regular listeners. I really do appreciate you all taking uh, half an hour out of your week to listen to me and catch up on the latest news in the world of GDPR. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. So coming up in this week's edition of the GDPR Weekly Show, firstly, congratulations to Elizabeth Denham on her position in the Computer Weekly Top 50 Influential Women in IT. An update on the large data breach at Visa earlier this year. An article about GDPR in the Netherlands. An update on the very large uh, data breach at Facebook that we've been mentioning for a few episodes now. Some news on a high talk case against data breach for iPhone users with Google. And finally, a quick update on the Data Protection World Forum being held at Excel in London in November. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. I would like to congratulate Elizabeth Denham, the Information Commissioner here in the UK, for being uh, placed at number four in Computer Weekly's Top 50 Most Influential Women in IT 2018. I think it's very well deserved. Um, as many of you probably know, Elizabeth Denham is the Information Commissioner here in the UK and she's responsible for ensuring that information rights are in the public interest and leads in the office dealing with the new Data Protection Act 2018 and, of course, with the office dealing with GDPR. Prior to becoming the Information Commissioner, Elizabeth Denham was the Information and Privacy Commissioner for British Columbia, responsible for compliance with public and private security privacy legislation and access to information law. And I'm sure we all uh, send our hearty congratulations to Elizabeth Denham, uh, coming number four in the uh, in the chart. And of course, it would only be right to also give our congratulations to the ultimate winner, Amali D. Elwes, who is the CEO of Code First Girls, a education initiative for teaching women of all backgrounds how to code. 
You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The first of a couple of updates for you on the stories that we've featured in the last few episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. Uh, The first relates to Visa, who you will remember several episodes ago we mentioned had a major outage on Friday the 1st of June which affected lots of Visa users across the UK. Visa have now had a chance to investigate this and have discovered that the cause was what they class as a rare defect in a switch at one of their data centres. The switch should have made the situation where because there was a failure in one data centre all data would just get swapped to Visa's second data centre. Unfortunately, there was an issue with a fault in the switch itself, which meant the switch failed. So there was a failure which caused the switch to trigger, but then the switch didn't trigger properly and itself failed, which meant that processing was not passed over smoothly to the second Visa data centre, which is obviously a bit embarrassing for Visa. What they now say happened is that at 2.35pm on Friday the 1st of June, the firm's UK data centre operations team were alerted to a fault. And they had already, just prior to that, noted the partial degradation in the performance of the company's processing systems. They then correctly initiated their critical incident response protocols but as I say, unfortunately, a hardware problem with the switch stopped the switch quite working as it should. And so, rather than switching over instantly, the actual switch to the second data centre didn't take place until 7.10pm. So bear in mind that the original incident had happened at 2.35. So we're now some four and a half hours after the original incident before all the processing successfully transferred over to the second data centre. Although, it has to be said that due to other mechanisms in place at Visa, the secondary data centre had already begun processing quite a few of the transactions in that time because the the initial main data centre was timing out. Having got the data all transferred to the second data centre at uh, 7.10pm, by 8.15pm, Visa were confident that the impact was largely resolved and all transactions caught up with real time, caught up with real time by 12.45pm in the morning of Saturday the 2nd of June. And Visa say the problem has not recurred since that time. Visa is quick to point out that at no point during the incident did a full system outage occur but admits that the percentage of transactions that were processed successfully did fluctuate, with peak periods of failure being between 3.05 and 3.15pm, and then again between 5.40pm to 6.30pm. During those two time periods, around 35% of attempted card transactions failed, but this failure rate dropped outside of those two periods to around 7%. They went on to say that over the course of the entire incident, 91% of transactions for UK car holders processed normally, 
and approximately 9% failed to process on the cardholder's first attempt. In total, Visa say that 51.2 million transactions took place during the outage and 5.2 million of those transactions failed to go through. Since it resolved the outage, Visa has said it focused its efforts on preventing the repeat of the events of the 1st of June, but admits it is still not clear on why the offending switch failed in the way that it did. It said it removed components from the switch and returned them to the manufacturer for forensic analysis. So all this information is now with the ICO and we wait to see whether the ICO now considers the Visa case to be closed or whether it will seek to impose a penalty on Visa for what happened. Check us out on Facebook. Just a reminder that as well as the podcast, we now have our own Facebook group. Um, please do pop along and see us there at https colon slash slash www.facebook.com slash groups slash GDPR weekly show. That's always one word, GDPR weekly show. And uh, do please come and join the group and follow the discussions that are going on. You're listening to the GDPR weekly show with your host, Keith Budden. While we're principally aimed at the UK and the US, we do, of course, recognise that we now have listeners right across Europe and indeed right across the world. And so I just want to touch on some information that came out this week from the Dutch Information Commissioner. Uh, The Dutch Information Commissioner is slightly concerned that their take-up rates of GDPR seem to be lagging behind the rest of Europe. Um, In the UK it's estimated that probably 30% of SMEs uh, still have done nothing about GDPR. And even in larger companies, it's thought that the percentage who've done nothing is probably still into double figures. And obviously that's something myself and and others working in the GDPR industry are very keen to try and put right here in the UK and why we hope you will get in contact with us at insurity at uh, www.insurity.co.uk but I just wanted to pass on for a moment to the um, the Netherlands because th- their latest figures show that somewhere between 80 and 90 percent of their small medium-sized enterprises are not yet GDPR compliant or it's not felt that they're GDPR compliant and of course, this it does encapsulate both micro-businesses and what most of us would think of as SMEs, but nonetheless, it's a very high percentage, especially given that SMEs make up some 90% of the Netherlands business world, and so largely determine the country's economic activity. Um, the interesting thing here as well was that the survey was carried out where uh, even with these figures, some 20% of companies felt they had been the victim of cybercrime and 21% have experienced an attempted digital attack. So, you know, it's not that they're not aware that there's a need for security, it's just for some reason they're not buying into GDPR maybe quite as much as they should and that's something which obviously needs to be worked on by uh, people working in the GDPR space in the Netherlands. But I thought as well the interesting thing was was that um, 
when they were asked in this survey whether they felt that they, any of their competitors or companies of a similar size to them would fall victim to a data breach under GDPR. 41% said yes, they believed that to be the case, that other companies in their industry or other companies that they knew probably were going to fall victim to a GDPR data breach. However, when they were then asked to give their own likelihood of falling victim to a GDPR data breach, they said only 20% of them said that they themselves felt they might fall victim to a data breach. Now, it could either be, of course, that the survey was aimed at the wrong companies and they were actually talking to the people who'd already done a lot about it. Or it could be that there's a false sense of confidence in companies' own abilities to deal with GDPR and that we all like to see possibly weaknesses in other companies that we maybe are hesitant to see in our own. And I'm just wondering whether that holds true in the UK as well. So um, just a quick survey for you. If you, any of you would like to drop me an email at uh, podcasts at insurety.co.uk. That's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk. And let me know. I've been to know what you think. What do you feel the percentage of companies in your sector are likely to feel prey to a GDPR data breach and how likely do you feel that you as a company are likely to fall foul of a GDPR data breach? You can send it to me and be as anonymous as you want but it would be helpful if you could um, indicate what industry you work in and I'll try and collate those results together and bring them back to everyone in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, but I would genuinely be really interested to know your thoughts on those two things. So what percentage of companies that you deal with, that you work with, that you know of, perhaps are on the same trading estate as you, in the same office block as you, just companies you're aware of, um, you feel would fall victim? And what do you think the percentage likelihood is that you yourself would fall victim? You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Please do share the GDPR Weekly Show podcast with your friends and colleagues. Uh, we're very pleased to have been in the uh, Apple iTunes Business Top 100 podcast now in the US, in the UK. And this week, we've also been in the Top 100 in Belgium and in Switzerland so really really pleased to see that obviously and we'd like to get higher up the charts Uh, be great if we could get into top 40 rather than just top 100 so please do share the podcast with your colleagues and anyone else you think may be interested in what we have to say you're listening to the GDPR weekly show with your host Keith Budden Our second update this week is on the Facebook data breach, this uh, large data breach which has featured in a few of our podcast episodes and continues to rumble on. Um, 
as you will be aware, it was thought that, first of all, possibly some 60 million Facebook accounts could have been affected by the data breach. Um, Facebook have now carried out a lot more analysis of the data and the activity on their servers and so on. And they now believe that the number of accounts affected was only half of the original estimate. So they believe the number of accounts affected was actually closer to 30 million. But nonetheless, of course, that's still a very large, significant number of people. And of those, about 14 million had suffered what Facebook classes as a major data breach. And for those 14 million, the attackers were able to scrape virtually all of the data from the members' profile pages. So that means that the um, hackers would have got away with information including name, relationship status, religion, birth date, workplaces, search activity, and the recent locations from which the user had checked in to Facebook. So really significant data that potentially has gone missing on some 14 million people. However, on the plus side, Facebook have been able to confirm that the attackers weren't able to access any credit card information associated with members' accounts. And to date, no one's quite sure what's happened to this data because all the uh, feedback that is available in the industry is that on the dark web, where these data sets tend to get stolen, um, as yet there's been no sight of any of this Facebook data, but it's early days on that, of course. Uh, the other thing that Facebook discovered was that they'd found no evidence that attackers had managed to use the stolen tokens to access any third-party apps. So whilst people's Facebook data may have been compromised, um, there was no indication that the hackers had managed to access people's accounts on other services, whether that's third-party services or Facebook services such as Messenger, Instagram, WhatsApp or Oculus. Facebook plans to notify all affected members over the next few days as to what information may have been taken and alert all users to be on the out lookout for suspicious emails, text messages or telephone calls. Asked whether Facebook would pay for some kind of identity theft monitoring service for affected users, a spokesman said that they had no plans to do so at this time. It's now believed what happened is that the hackers began by using a series of seed accounts and using these seed accounts to attack the accounts of friends and from there attack the accounts of friends of friends and so on down the line, eventually amassing a group of some 400,000 compromised accounts. They then launched some server software on these 400,000 compromised accounts which then spread out through the natural web of Facebook to eventually give access to these 15 million accounts that were hacked and a further 15 million that were stopped before it got as far as hacking. Facebook say that they first noticed a spike in unusual activity on the 14th of September and by the 25th of September were confident that the activity was indeed an attack. 
Two days later, so by the 27th of September, Facebook say they'd plugged the hole and reset users' tokens, preventing the attackers from accessing any further information. But by then, of course, the damage had already been done. Facebook said that they had some information on who that they felt may have been behind the attack, but had been asked not to speak any further on this currently, as there is an ongoing FBI investigation. They weren't able to confirm yet how many of the users actually came from Europe. And obviously it's those that came from Europe that may attract fines and penalties under GDPR. And this whole thing, as far as GDPR is concerned, the whole Facebook episode, is now being dealt with by the Republic of Ireland Information Commissioner, as Dublin is where Facebook have registered their um, main point of presence within the EU as far as GDPR is concerned. And so it falls to the Irish ICO to investigate this further. Facebook have created a security notice page where users can check whether their account was impacted by the data breach. And so that's quite important now that people are able to just go and do that. And so um, all you need to do to check that out, by the way, is go to https colon slash slash www.facebook.com forward slash help forward slash security notice question mark ref equals sec s for sugar e for echo c for charlie and that will give you all the information and that page will tell you assuming you're logged into facebook of course whether your facebook data has been accessed we will of course continue to monitor this story and if we have any further updates from facebook to bring you or indeed any updates from the Republic of Ireland Information Commissioner's Office, then we will bring them to you in a future edition of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Other news this week um, affecting large data companies has affected Google and its iPhone data privacy case. Uh, you might be aware that there's been a bid to sue Google for allegedly unlawfully taking data from 4.4 million UK iPhone users. Uh, the case was mounted by a group called Google UOS, led by former director of which, Richard Lloyd. It was seeking compensation for people whose handsets were trapped by Google for several months back in 2011 and 2012. However, the High Court has blocked the bid to suit Google, so that won't now be going ahead. Um, Mr Lloyd said he was disappointed by the ruling and his group would appeal, but Google said it was pleased, as it always thought the case was without merit. The campaign was, is believed to be the first mass legal action of its kind in the UK. Mr Justice Warby in the High Court explained that it was blocked because the claims that people suffered damage were not supported by the facts advanced by the campaign group. Another reason for blocking it, he said, was the impossibility of reliably calculating 
the number of iPhone users affected by the alleged data breach. Mr Lloyd in a statement said today's judgment is extremely disappointing and effectively leaves millions of people without any practical way to seek redress and compensation when their personal data has been misused. He added that he would seek permission to appeal against the verdict on behalf of the 20,000 people who had signed up to his campaign. And so we wait and see what happens. Obviously this predates GDPR but nonetheless it will be interesting to see whether uh, Mr Lloyd's appeal is successful and Google do have to face action on this or whether the High Court's judgment will be uh, upheld. It's worth stating though that for all that the judge doubtless had his reasons for not allowing the case to go forward, in the US Google has already paid out some $39.5 million to individuals who've made claims in the US under the exact same data breach. So we wait and see. It'll be interesting, I think, to see what the ultimate decision is on this. Obviously, it's not really related to GDPR, but it is related to data security, and I thought it would be of interest to listeners to this podcast. So let's wait and see whether the appeal court do decide to let Mr Lloyd bring his case, or whether they uphold the decision by Justice Warby. Check us out on Facebook. An event for your diaries uh, on the 20th and 21st of November 2018 at the XL Conference Centre in London uh, is the Data Protection World Forum. Uh, it's a conference spread over two days. There are a number of GDPR related topics coming up at the conference including uh, GDPR the future of marketing and advertising, a GDPR health check, GDPR and HR, how to achieve ongoing compliance, and of course GDPR and HR is something that we've been talking about in this episode of the podcast, and also business development in a post-GDPR world, and I think that's something as well which will be of interest to lots of people, of just how does GDPR impact upon business development and how do we make sure that business continues to develop for everyone even accepting the privacy constraints that GDPR places on us. So it's promising to be a really good conference and expo. Excel, if you don't know it, is very easy to get to. It's out in Docklands, just to the east of London. Um, It's by the Jubilee Line for underground. Um, It's also very close to London City Airport so for visitors from overseas it's very easy to arrive there and it also has other good transport links. Uh, It's not great though to drive to it has to be said so it's a good case to use public transport uh, most definitely if you can because it makes your journey there much much simpler. I'm going to be there on both days if you'd like to meet up with me during the course of the Protection World, Data Protection World Forum, then of course I'd be delighted to meet with you. Please just drop me an email to podcasts at insurity.co.uk uh, with a note of which date, the 20th or the 21st, works best for you. And uh, we can arrange to meet at the conference. Um, I'll be talking some more about the conference in uh, a future episode of the podcast between now and November. 
and uh, indeed hopefully we'll be getting to interview one of the organisers and uh, have that discussion. But just a note for your diary, so if you haven't got it in there already, please pencil in the dates, 20th and 21st November at XL in London. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk. You can find out more about us at Insurity at www.insurity.co.uk. And I look forward to speaking to you again, same time, same place, next week. Have a good week, everybody, and remember, keep your data safe. Check us out on Facebook. The GDPR Weekly Show is an Insurity production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity.